chapter 2 in Galatians. All right. Do we have a special this evening? Okay, great. All right, Galatians chapter 2. If you are able to stand, we're going to stand and read verse 15 through 19. Verse 15 through 19. Well, getting settled in here, I'm not going to hurry this. Um, Of course, the emphasis here in this letter to the churches of Galatia is uh, really don't add works to, to grace. That would be an emphasis, the emphasis. And Paul deals with both extremes. In the first part of the, the letter, he's emphasizing the distinction between law and grace. In the latter end of the letter, he's letting you know, don't take grace as a license for sin. And you'll see that. So, matter of fact, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, as we get ready to read, it's important to understand that Paul is very personal here to the Galatians. He has to uh, remind them of his apostolic position. Uh, What has happened is there have been some teachers and leaders that have come in, so-called, from Jerusalem, that are... They're not denouncing Jesus Christ, but they're telling the people, now you need to follow this Jewish law, this Jewish culture. You need to to be concerned about the laws of Moses from circumcision and to these different feast days and things like that. You need to be very concerned. This, This is all part of that extra sanctification, so to speak. And they've adopted this teaching. And so really what's going out from the pulpit and through the people now in their witness is that if you do this, this, and this plus Jesus, you're saved. We know that's heresy. That's not just wrong, that's heresy. And Paul deals with it pretty sharply. And so he has to explain to them... uh, his authority again, because uh, they've undermined, these teachers have undermined Paul. And Paul reminds them of some events, a situation between uh, he and the Apostle Peter in Antioch. Peter had been fellowshipping with the Gentile believers, close brothers in Christ. But when the Jews from Jerusalem arrived, Peter removed himself from the Gentile believers fearful that they would look at him as unclean. And so he removed himself, and Paul, Paul said not only did, he do, not only did Peter uh, uh, show some hypocrisy to the Gentile believers, but he led away many other uh, believers from the truth. Barnabas was carried away with this nonsense as well. And Paul mentions this. And I... On this narrative, we begin our reading. Verse 15. And I don't know if he's talking to Peter here or not. Nevertheless, it's recorded for all of us. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, can't wait to explain that, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, 
Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. By the way, that phrase is found in Romans 3 verse 25 as well. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? That's a rhetorical question. God forbid. No, he's not the propagator of sin. Uh, Verse 18, for I build again, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I realize some of this can seem a little bit wordy, and I can summarize this uh, real quickly, but I don't want to. I want us to go through this verse by verse. No, I'm going to, make, I'm going to simplify it, but we're going to go through this verse by verse. There, there will be no alliterated outline. I'm telling you that right now. Matter of fact, there is no outline. We're, we're just going to use the Bible. We're going to kind of look at this verse and this verse and this verse. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God. We pray that you bless our service, bless the special music. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to have you back, sister. Praise the Lord. She's been struggling with some illness, one thing after another, and we're just as excited about her being able to come back and play and sing as she is. All right. Back here to Galatians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 15. We who are Jews by nature, says Paul, to most likely, I, I wonder if he is talking personally to Peter at this time, and if he's not in the crowd, I don't know. I don't know if it cuts off, and Paul just writes this. This is dialogue specifically to the Galatians. I don't know. That's kind of a mystery there, but... It sounds like it could be something he's talking to Peter about. We who are Jews by nature, he includes himself, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now, that term there, sinners of the Gentiles, that was a Jewish term. The Jews of the day, when they looked at you and I, if we weren't Jews, we were sinners. The word sinner and Gentile was synonymous to the Jew. Is everybody with me? Paul can speak Jew when he wants to because he is one. He's just born again and he's got his thinking straight through Jesus Christ. Okay, and so we get this wonderful uh, letter of Galatians and the book of Romans. They complement each other, okay, in this idea of justification by faith. So Paul is using this term here. And Peter knows the term, okay? The Jews in the room know the term if he is talking to them. Verse 16, knowing that a man. Now that's significant. Let me pause there. Knowing that a man. He's talking about all men. All men. Knowing that a man, okay? Not just Jew, not just Gentile, but all men. Knowing that a man, he goes on to say, is not justified by the what? of the law. Jew and Gentile, neither one is justified by the works of the law. Take a look, and don't lose your spot here. Turn over to Acts chapter 15. We're going to actually use our Bible because that's something we do. That's That's a distinctiveness about us. We didn't bring our Reader's Digest today, and Uh, But we got the Word of God here. 
In Acts chapter 15, I want you to see something uh, in regards to Peter's own words, his statement in regards to this idea of works. So what has happened here in Acts chapter 15, the Christians in Jerusalem or the, the church in Jerusalem has got wind that there is a thriving church in Antioch. The big difference is the people in Antioch, most of them are not Jewish. They're Gentile believers who received the same Jesus as the believers in Jerusalem did. You see, we're all saved, uh, saved the same way, the blood-bought way, okay? And so uh, these believers in Antioch, they're excited. They're doing something for God, and uh, word comes back to Jerusalem that they've received the gospel. And so this is some of the counsel that is given. Acts chapter 15, look at verse 7. And when there had been much disputing... Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. By the way, Peter had this unusual dream just a couple, few chapters prior. God was preparing him to witness to an Italian fella named Cornelius. I'm sorry, I always think of that Cornelius on Planet of the Apes when that comes to my brain. Okay, but he, he, has this, uh, he, he has to go see this Italian guy named Cornelius. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. That's, we've been so defiled, haven't we? All right, so, so Peter has this dream, and he, in that dream he sees something really weird. He sees all these animals, unclean animals to the Jew, coming down in this basket from the sky. And the voice in this dream says to Peter, rise up and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean, only kosher food. Only kosher food. He saw the dream three times, and the voice continually said, uh, what I've made clean, don't call unclean. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's exactly what the Lord was saying to him. And then he gets this knock on the door, and the knock on the door said, there's this Italian fellow that wants us to see you. And Peter was told by the Lord, you need to go there. So Peter goes, finds out, oh, it's an Italian guy. And Peter doesn't even ask him, so do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? No, no. He says, what do you want me here for? <laughs> he wasn't much of a soul winner. But uh, the Italian says to him, Oh, well, we've been praying and fasting, and the Lord told us to send a message. You've got something for us. He says, well, he preached the gospel. And the Spirit of God made himself uh, evident in the lives of those men that received Jesus Christ, their Savior. And Peter said, how about that? The gospel's for everybody. So that's what he's talking about here. So we move on here. Uh, verse, verse 8. Verse 8, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them. That's Peter's words. You all with me here? The Apostle Peter's words put no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. No difference. Purifying their hearts by what? Works? Faith. Faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What yoke? The works of the law. The works of the law. To add this, this, and this to salvation, that's a burden they couldn't bear. That's a burden that's going to make them question their salvation until they meet God. 
And then if it's continually preached that way, people never will, really will get saved because if you're putting your faith in works and law, you're not saved. It is possible for someone to genuinely get saved and later on believe that works are part of it. I believe that's possible. People just need to be grounded in the faith, rooted and grounded in the truth. You all with me here? I believe there'll be some people in heaven that did be surprised they got there because they thought they lost it. I believe that. But there'll be some people in hell who thought they were going to heaven too. And that's a scary thing. All right, we go to verse 11 here. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Going back to Galatians now. So what you just got there, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is a record of Peter testifying of what he believed. But when we come to Galatians chapter 2, Peter wasn't practicing what he believed by his behavior amongst them. He removed himself from them as though they were lower class than him. He thought, okay, I'm good. The Bible says he was afraid of the Jews when they came from Jerusalem. Why? You're the great apostle. Because they're going to see him associate. Maybe they'd see him eating pork. All I can do is say, praise the Lord. Maybe they had some bacon out there. Hallelujah. I mean, even donuts are better with bacon. All right, that's a whole other story. Okay, so we come back to verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, Galatians 2, 16, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we, even we, Paul says we, Jews, uh, that are saved, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, there's no doubt Paul, Peter understood this. Peter believed this. Paul's reemphasizing this to the Galatians. We come to verse 17 now. Verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. What on earth does that mean? <clears throat> if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we're found sinners. Let me, let me ask you this. Uh, is this on? Test, testing. Okay, I'm on. Is that on? I can hear myself. I don't. Okay, so uh, if we're to be found sinners, what exposes sin? The law. The law. So what he's saying there is, if we've put faith in Christ, but we're found sinners, that is, we allow the law to continue to expose our sin and we live as though oh I got to live up to the law I understand there's another side to this coin but you got to hang with me through Galatians chapter 4 3, 4 and 5 here but you got to understand this side too because people err on both sides of the road here alright so uh, if, uh, if they live as though I got I to keep this law I see myself well Paul says uh It's not Christ that makes you feel that way. It's not Christ. If you have received Him as your Savior, if you have been born again, He said, I came not to condemn the world, 
but the world through me might have life. So, we move on. Move on here, just to explain the passage here. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Here is where I might get stuck for a little while. If I build again. How many of you know what the term, or the three, I know the nurses in the room will, D-N-R. What's that mean? Uh, everybody knows that. That's a bummer if you've got to put that on, a, if a family member, member has that on their document as they're in hospice care or uh, in the hospital. D-N-R. That's a bummer there. But there is something that ought to be a D-N-R here that should not be resuscitated. There are people that came out of different religious backgrounds, even in this room, I believe, and that you, uh, it, you'd been taught you've got to put faith in Christ, but you've got to do, 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 do to keep it. Well, if that's the case, what about the done work that was on the cross? You saying that wasn't enough? Wasn't sufficient. You see, if you really got saved, if you really got saved, you had to come to a point to where you said, I got to let go of that. So I did this little illustration before I left about a month and a half ago, but I know everybody's got short-term memory loss. Some of you long-term memory loss. I did this illustration. So, hey, Jason, Brother Brian, can I? Oh, not here. Jason, Nathan, if I can use you guys here. All right, so we'll call this the law. The law. We'll call this faith in Jesus Christ. Now, listen to me. Uh, uh, faith in, go ahead and pull them apart here. Go ahead and slowly, not fast. Okay, okay, that's good, that's good. I don't want to get too ridiculous here. But as you can tell, the, the, what you need to know is they're not, they're not going the same direction. They're two different entities. Okay? The law can only take you so far. The law can take you to the cliff and let you know there's a big drop. But the law can't take you across, through the cliff, over to the other side. All right. Uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ. Okay. And a beautiful picture with Moses and Joshua. Moses could only get him to the brink of the promised land, but it took Joshua to get him into the promised land. The law is necessary, and the law is good in the sense it exposes sin, and it lets you know there's death. There's a great big drop there, and you're going to hit that. And if you have come to that conclusion and saw, what, saw yourself as a sinner, that's a good thing. Because until you see yourself as a sinner with, with the penalty of death before you, you're not even going to be concerned about eternity in heaven. You're not even going to be concerned about mercy. That's not going to bother you if you don't see you have any problems. And so it's a blessing if somehow, somewhere in your life, and I trust it has happened because you're here, and uh, I know most of you, but somewhere in your life, the Spirit of God convicted you about your sins through the Word and the laws of God, but that could only get you so far. And that's it. You could strive, you can go to church, you can get baptized, you can memorize Scripture, you can quit cussing, you can quit stealing, you can quit lying and all of that, but you're still a sinner. You've still got sin in your heart. You're still going to deal with pride and envy and lust all in your heart. And Jesus said this. He said, man, if you hate your brother, that's just like murder. If you, if you look upon a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery in your heart already. It's not as much of what you do as what you, what's going on in the heart. It's the heart in man that condemns him. We can't get rid of that. We're stuck with that. 
Well, what are we going to do? Well, this is where we come to the conclusion. Either we say, well, I can lift myself up by my own bootstraps and make it on my own. I'm going to plant my foot over here on the law and my good works. And you say, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'll do this. But that's not going to work, friend. You've got to come to the place where I'm dead. I can't make it. All I can do is plead His mercy. That's all I can do. And then it doesn't matter how far the two chairs are pulled apart because I'm on safe ground here on this one here. Thanks, guys. That's all I needed. We weren't going any farther apart, I'll tell you that. I am uh, not ready for that. So, <clears throat> he says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What does he mean by the things that he destroyed? Or the... He had to come to the place where the word destroyed there means dissolved or separate. That's, ex- that's exactly what it means. Get your little iPhone out and you can look it up if you don't believe me. But, you know, it would be, it'd be more appropriate to pay attention to church right now, okay? But that's what it means. It means, okay, he had to come to the place where he said, I, I have to separate myself from the good works and the law because I can't live it. Romans chapter 7, Paul gives a personal testimony. He said, you know, I want to do good, but when I, when I try to do good, I, I find evil's with me. I find it's with me. It's always with me. And we see this back and forth battle, and it looks like everybody's personal testimony when you read Romans chapter 7. And so he finally comes to this conclusion. He says, I, I, had, to, I had to destroy it, and I had to go over here. But here's what he's saying. Why would I rebuild it? Why would I bring it back? Why? I want to say, share a couple things. You know, as I think about Bible history, there's a few occasions where God destroyed things and they weren't supposed to be built up again. Number one, I think of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You know, you read that uh, chapter, verses 1 through 9, God comes down, He sees the sons of men, He sees them building this great tower into glory. Well, these fellows all had this idea, they're going to make it to heaven on their own. They were going to get up there and take a peek at God. That's what they were doing. And uh, the idea behind it really implies that they were, it was human worship. They wanted to be like God. Well, God comes down there. The whole world is united at that time. One world religion, there it is, right there in Genesis 11. It's coming back, too, ladies and gentlemen. One, the one world religion is going to be pushed again. And so, but here they are. They're all following same language, so it was easy. Same language. God comes down, takes a look around, doesn't like what he sees. He scrambles their language, and they all start talking to each other, and he starts saying, wah, 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 Talbot call y'all. And that's exactly the way they looked at each other. <laughs> so they had to go find another crowd that understood what wah, wah, chakapah meant. And, oh, yeah, I understand you. And they all had these different groups, and uh, they started hanging out together, and they didn't want to take time to learn each other's language, so they found their own, little, own way, and they left the Tower of Babel alone. Left it alone. It won't be returning until the Antichrist comes. He might be walking on planet Earth right now for all that goes. But that was destroyed, that idea. That's not to be built back up again. God's not in that. But Jericho. You know when the walls of Jericho were knocked down? And if you read Joshua chapter 6, I believe it's verse 24, when the, when, once uh, the walls have been knocked down and Israel's went in there and they've conquered and they've gathered the spoils and all of that and they've given, given it to the Lord, the Bible says uh, that Joshua pronounced a curse upon whoever would try to rebuild. 
That's something that shouldn't have been rebuilt. You know what God told Moses and Joshua? Oh, you like that? Best papa. I ought to change that to poppy. That'd be good. That's just free advertisement there. Anyways, uh, uh, <clears throat> got my mind sidetracked. Okay, so uh, God told Moses and Joshua before they would go into Canaan land, there would be idols in Canaan land. And they're to be destroyed. Not to be rebuilt. Not to be re-implemented. So there are definitely things God says, hey, once they're destroyed, don't let them rise up again. Don't let it happen. And so Paul mentions here, kind of gives me the idea, that's what I was thinking about when I read the verse, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. A transgressor. Just like those people that would have the idea, let's have a one world religion again, transgressor. Just like the people that wanted to rebuild the walls of Jericho, oh, there's a curse, transgressor. Just like those who would rebuild idols, and by the way, they did, transgressor. Uh, You bring problems to your life. Bring problems to your life. Okay, I got to move on here. I got all these notes. I ought to use them now and then. Take time to write this stuff out and don't even use it. Where are we at here? Okay. All right. <clears throat> so, anything that hinders our faith in Christ should remain dead or destroyed. Anything. So, what things did he destroy? As he mentions here in verse 18. Dependence in the law for salvation. He could not live up to the standard, therefore he is, his only recourse was the mercy of Christ. Is everybody with me? I don't want this to be too deep. Uh, And if it's too simple, I don't want it to be boring. This is good news. I mean, this is good news for the most helpless sinner. This is good news for the homeless man. This is good news for the fellow that's got a stronghold that he doesn't feel like he'll ever get over, whether it's pornography or alcohol or narcotics. It's good news, friend. You can be born again. You can be saved by the grace of God. Jesus will take you if you'll take Him. Because it starts with grace, not works. It starts with faith, and it ends with faith. By the way, uh, man, I talked to a fellow... Uh, a number of years ago that was involved in uh, uh, the building program to the new addition out there. Had a really good talk with him. He had an apostolic background, but a sincere man, good man. And he was just hung up on the fact that, you know, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you got to be baptized, you got to speak in tongues, you got to do this and this. And I said, whoa, 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 hold the coffee, hold the coffee. And, uh, and I said, I said, let's deal with the baptism issue first. I said, now that thief on the cross, now, see, he wasn't baptized, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Is that not the fact? That's a blessing, right? But here's his answer. His answer was this. That was a different dispensation. I'm like, oh, really? Well, how about old Abraham? Abraham was way before him, and the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, he was justified by faith. By faith. Not by works. In, Gen- in Genesis chapter 15, and I'm trying to remember the exact verse, but it's in Genesis chapter 15, God uh, once more tells him about the promise of a, of, a, of a miracle son, Isaac. And the Bible says, Abraham believed and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's all it says. And by the way, you know what Abraham did shortly after that? He backslid. He lost his faith. Oh, but the beauty is, once you put faith in God... He's got a grip on you. 
He's got a grip on you. If you put faith in God, He's got a grip on you. He ain't going to let loose of you. We're so fickle. We're so fickle. We change our minds so often. The most important thing is, have you ever personally made a decision for Jesus Christ? Did you sincerely receive Him as your Savior? Did you ever come to a point in your life where you understood, I'm lost. I don't want to die and go to hell. My only recourse, and I'm glad there is a recourse, is Jesus. And He's able and willing, and He wants to save my soul. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in church, because I know people that have been in church for a long time that struggle with their eternal security. Struggle with it because they, maybe because of things they've been taught somewhere else. I don't know, but they struggle because they think, well, I'm not living a good enough life. I'm just not living a good enough life. Friend, get your foot off the bag and put it all on Jesus. Put it all on Jesus. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. What things did he destroy? I said dependence in the law for salvation. He could not live up to the standard. Therefore, he, his only recourse was the mercy seat of Christ. He had to abandon the idea that the law was the means of earning merit with God and fully depend on Jesus. Did I say that clear? All right, we can move on. So, once again, verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. How is this rebuilt? How do I rebuild it? By placing dependence back in the law for salvation and my approval before God. You want to know something? I'm going to use the word approval. People see themselves, oh, oh, I've messed up. I don't know if I'm saved. Listen, I don't know either, but I do know the only way to get saved is by faith in Jesus. And I know many of his children go astray and come back, go astray. But Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, great verse, great verse. People people need acceptance, don't they? Everybody's looking for acceptance. Listen, don't lie. When you're around a crowd of people, you want to be accepted. I, I realize there's that occasional loner here and there, but I understand. But the reality is we want to be accepted. You come to this church, I sure hope you feel accepted. People want to be accepted. In their, by the way, a lot of times people make bad decisions because they want to be accepted. Hello? They do. But here's what you need to understand. In Ephesians 1, verse 6, Ephesians 1, verse 6, it says, You and I, ye are accepted in the beloved. Ye are, that's pretty simple. Now, that's not the whole verse, but ye, you, I know that old English, that's tough. Ye, you know, that threw you off. Are accepted, accepted in the beloved. What's that mean? That means the Father says, oh, you're all mine. You've received Jesus? Well, come on in. The house is yours. Make yourself at home. Check the refrigerator out. Find a good room. Check the closet out. I got, I got your size. Anything you want. New shoes? Sure. We've got a closet for you, too. Oh, you need a purse here? Oh, yeah. Got some great shotguns over here. No. <laughs> but our Heavenly Father accepts us through Jesus Christ. Not because of our good works. Never will be because of our good works. We're accepted for one and one reason only. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, how is it rebuilt? Well, you know you're rebuilding that which has been destroyed when you are struggling with assurance of your salvation after you've sincerely called on Christ. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. 
Listen, I think we've all been there because we can inadvertently put our confidence back in things that we shouldn't have our confidence in. Ourself, our ability. Hello. You know you're rebuilding it when your works of righteousness are prompted more by fear than love for Christ. I know. Take it through. Take it through. You know you're rebuilding it when the prompted, your works of righteousness are prompted more by fear than your love for Christ. Yeah, but what about the, in the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? It sure is. It brought you to Christ. It brought me to Christ. And I'm not going to deny a good heavenly whipping puts, a, puts fear in me too. It does. I'm not going to deny it. But the reality is I believe many people are reverting back to works because deep down in their heart they just can't get over the fact they feel like I've got to change to be saved rather than let salvation change me. I know that can be difficult. That'll be explained clearer as we move on. Here's another uh, assessment. How is it rebuilt? Well, you, you know you're rebuilding it when your works of righteousness are done in the flesh, not in the spirit. Huh? You know it's possible to serve God and not want to? Anybody ever done it? Okay, am I the only one? See, what are you doing? How does a person serve God? How does a person perform righteousness in the flesh and not in the spirit? Here's how he does it. He does it by not asking Christ to help him, by not asking Christ to lead him, by, by not seeking his guidance and direction by not letting Christ assess his own heart before he gets involved in this. He does it, hey, listen, people have been involved in all kinds of different ministries, and they've done it in the flesh, and it comes out, it comes out when things don't go their way. And that'll be discussed later on. It'll be discussed here in a couple more chapters, the distinction between walking in flesh and spirit. Hey, it's 8.09. Do we have kids waiting for us? All right. Hey, I've got another page here. Just hang on here. Where'd it go? Here it is. How would it make him a transgressor? For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Because depending on the law, he would still be nothing more than a sinner. Because to rest faith in the law is to depreciate the work of Christ on the cross. Here's the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said it is finished. Paid in full. Complete. The ark is finished. All you got to do is get in. Don't try to live in and out of the ark. That wouldn't work very well. It's complete. See, right here. But to go back here and put your confidence here is to say, 
I don't know if the blood of Jesus Christ is completely sufficient enough to cleanse me of all my sin. That's like uh, blasphemy. Hell, that's serious business. But the reality is, many people even in this room have probably done it inadvertently. Because our hearts are wicked, aren't they? They're wicked. He says, oh, no, no, no. Don't be a transgressor. I'll be a transgressor if I rebuild this stuff before God. I mean, you can be sure the strobe light, the warning's going off. He says, oh, no, get back over here. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust no other name. How's the rest of that song go? But wholly lean on Jesus' name. Well, they ought to make a song about that. All right, we move on here. Verse 19, 20, and 21. I'm going to do this real quick. I'm going to do it in two minutes here. Two minutes, 120 seconds. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. He is pleading guilty to the law that he might receive mercy from God. Remember, in the Gospels, Jesus couldn't help those who did not see their own sin. If you read the Gospels. Verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I read old J. Vernon McGee again today. And Mr. McGee, I trust, is smarter than me. That rhymed. <clears throat> he made a statement here, and as I read it and looked at it, I thought, you know, it sure appears he's right. In verse 20, we have two things mentioned about the Apostle Paul's Christianity. We have his position and his practice. When he says, for I am crucified with Christ, that's not practice, that's position. You can't crucify yourself. How do you pound a nail in one hand and try to pound a nail in the other hand? Talk to me, class. No, 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 no. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ, your Savior, what you need to understand is what took place on the cross, God vicariously took you, you, and you died with him. That's why you don't have to pay for your sin and go to hell. That's why you don't have that eternal consequence hanging over your head. Because you died with Christ when you put faith in Him. Well, how'd God do that? God's God. He vicariously paid the price for all our sin. He did it as a man. He did it as a perfect man, a willing man. Here He is on the cross. Some 2,000 years later, many of us called on Him to be our Savior. Oh, He vicariously... He had vicariously died for us. That's what Paul's saying. I am crucified with Christ. But then he goes on to say, nevertheless I live. Here's the practice. Here's the practice. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. Now this is interesting here. Okay. See, <clears throat> he is crucified with Christ. That's uh, the law that he was guilty of has been paid for through Jesus. He died with Christ vicariously, but now he lives for Jesus by faith because he loves Jesus. Notice the reading. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. Now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Sounds like someone who's grateful for what has transpired. He's serving out a heart of love. That's the greatest motivator. 
I mean, to try to get people to change from their sin out of fear, it's just not working. But grace can get people to change. That woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, remember her? It wasn't fear that changed her, it was grace. Remember that woman at the well who'd been married five times, the guy she was with at the time she wasn't married to? Remember her? Jesus reveals himself to her. It wasn't fear, but it was grace that turned her life around. Come see a man that told me everything about me. That woman became a soul winner even before she got married. A lot of people come to Christ. Ah, wait a minute, we're almost done here. Oh, I, that's too fast. Ah, verse 21 though. I do not frustrate the grace of God. That word frustrate, you know what that means? Neutralize, neutralize. You want to neutralize the grace of God? You continue to act like it's up to you to change. And you'll neutralize the real grace of God that changes you within. You're in church, many of you are in church today because you want to be. There might be a few of you here that don't want to be. Well, I'm glad you're here. You heard the word. But it's the grace of God that prompts us to want to do right and act right and learn from him. Lord, bless the service. Thank you for your word. Bless our time together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me ask this question as we get ready to close. Maybe there's somebody here this evening who'd say, Preacher, I don't know that I'll go to heaven when I die. I don't want to die and go to hell, but I am not certain that I'll go to heaven. Pray for me. If that's you, I sure would like to pray for you. Is there anyone like that at this time? If you lift your hand so I can see it, I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that as I look around? All right, all right. So, once again, uh, those of you that raised your hand, if you'd see me right after service, please see me. I want to ask this question as well. Uh, If the Lord has spoke to your heart this evening, I don't know about what, but he spoke to your heart. And you know there's some decisions you need to make. I sure would like to pray for you as well. Would you lift your hand, anybody like that? All right. Lord, bless those that have raised their hands. Encourage them in their faith. Bless our invitation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian, come on up.